Good morning, everyone. I am your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the April 1st edition of Ask a Leader, April 1st, 2014. No fooling with today's show. Actually, um, not ever. Welcome back, those of you of the spring break set and uh, the rest of you settling into another fine week. Today begins the month designated as Autism Awareness Month. I'll be picking up that theme many times throughout the month, although not this particular program. My first guest on today's show will be Alex Jackson, attorney for the Natural Resources Defense Council. Then in the second half, Masters of Fine Arts student Juan David Rubio and his binational crew will trot out his Batia project this Friday night on that's April 4th at UCI's Experimental Media Performance Lab. It should be anywhere from cool to spectacular, and it's free. You'll learn all about it later this morning. Don't go away. We'll be right back after a short break. Alrighty, thank you everybody for staying with us on the show. Welcome back. The International Panel on Climate Change has just released its latest report with the grim forecast worldwide. Michael Jarreau of the World Meteorological Society quoted, uh, so his quote was, now we are at the point where there is so much information, so much evidence that we can no longer plead ignorance. And Christopher B. Field, co-chair of the working group that wrote the report, Stanford Earth System Science, said, dealing effectively with climate change is just going to be something that great nations do, even though great nations were the ones that were providing all those emissions. So um, National Resources Defense Council is part of the package of those who've moved on the growing evidence on climate change since the 2007 report was issued. And that's why I've invited my first guest, Alex Jackson, attorney for the Natural Resources Defense Council to talk with us today. Alex Jackson is an attorney, as I said, with Natural uh, Resource Defense Council with their energy and transportation program working on California climate change and policy. And in that capacity, he focuses on implementing uh, and defending the suite of clean energy programs developed under California's Global Warming Solutions Act of 2006 and on pursuing statewide strategies to improve energy efficiency before the California Public Utilities Commission, California Air Resources Board, and the California State Legislature. Prior to joining NRDC, Mr. Jackson earned his JD, his a legal degree, law school degree from UC Berkeley School of Law and Bachelor's of Arts in Environmental Policy, History and Government from Cornell. He comes uh, to us today from Los Angeles. Welcome to the show, Alex Jackson. Hi, Claudia. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad you're on, man. It's a, it's the, it's a really, really topical moment to have you on. But I, I just want to step back. Your job is made a little more difficult uh, in view of the L.A. Times' lack or delayed coverage of the International Panel on Climate Change's latest report, I noticed the coverage finally made it in today's paper. What's that like for you to carry your load with the with the sort of national paper that's lagging in their coverage? Yeah, it's an ongoing challenge. I, I think this latest report from the IPCC, which is uh, their fifth, is you know the, the most striking to date, and I think it 
confirms unequivocally what, what we already know, what we already are, are seeing around us, that you know, climate change is here. It's, it's already having an impact, uh, incredibly detrimental impacts, uh, both locally and in you know, both developed and developing countries around the world. And I think it's, it's telling that a group of scientists uh, who are not you know, prone to sounding alarm bells with such urgency has really stepped up um, to highlight the, the risks that, that society faces if we continue down this path of, of unchecked you know, dumping of carbon emissions into the atmosphere. So, you know, we, we see this as really, um, you know, an SOS to, to leaders around the world, to governments around the globe, to, you know, really move forward with some meaningful action to rein in our emissions. You know, we have the solutions at hand. We just need the political will to make them a reality. But, you know, we also need we need the media to, to cover this and and portray it as the real serious story that it is. We do need that, and I'm I'm hoping we're um, what what ripples can be created in this interview and other coverage. Uh, other journalists who did participate in the rollout yesterday, the launch of what we'll talk about um, later on here, uh, to bring to bring the LA Times to a bit higher standard here of coverage. Well, I let's talk about um, something that great nations do. Where is the leadership, great leadership coming from in our midst? Why don't you give us a brief anatomy of the passage of California's Global Warming Solutions Act, Alex? Happy to, yes. So uh, I, I, I think the good news for here at home is California has long been a leader on attempting to address climate change and really looking to establish a model for uh, the rest of the world as this is, this is one approach that can be effective to radiant emissions without kind of resulting in the, you know, detriment to the economy and the other kind of myths that are propagated by those that would not like us to see progress on, on climate change. Uh, so in 2006, California passed uh, what's called the Global Warming Solutions Act of 2006. Uh, it's known shorthand by its bill number AB32, and it required the state to come up with a comprehensive plan to reduce emissions to 1990 levels by the year 2020. And it, it didn't take kind of an approach that there's one magic bullet to get us there. It recognized that climate change is, is pervasive. It, it's a result of emissions really from uh, throughout our economy, and it's going to require a similar multifaceted solution. It directed implementation to the state's air resources board to come up with this plan and that's been in the works for uh, the better part of a decade now but we are now starting to see these programs really come into effect and starting to take a bite out of california's emissions um, and that's that's exciting i think we, we know we need to scale up the progress we've made in california elsewhere but you know we are one of the largest economies in the world we're still one of the largest emitters in the world and if if we can Get it right in California. You know we're we're confident that we can start to break down some of the barriers that have held back progress uh, in other jurisdictions. So taking up the the act, it um, it did dodge a repeal. I believe it was the statewide ballot of 2012. It's on two levels: the energy providers and the energy consumers, the latter including both businesses and residential rate payers, California uh, Public Utilities Commission, as you said, and the California Air Resources, Resources Board, held a new teleconference yesterday announcing the California Climate Credit, taking up the act's intent to reduce 
Greenhouse Gas Emissions and Global Warming. It's official. The program's now launched. Let's talk about those two levels. First, the uh, there's the cap and trade, how that works with utilities, and then we'll take up the ratepayer aspect. Sure. So, you know, one of the components that the, the state uh, elected to pursue to achieve the goals of AB 32 was a cap-and-trade program, and that, in a nutshell, puts uh, a hard limit on the emissions from the state's largest carbon polluters, so you think power plants, refineries, large industry, and by requiring those polluters to hand in a pollution permit, or they're known as carbon allowances, for every ton of emissions and then gradually shrinking those number of permits over time, it ensures that those emissions from those large uh, sectors will continue to fall. And the way some of those uh, permits are distributed to the market is through quarterly auctions that the state runs. Um, and essentially, polluters need to purchase these permits uh, to, continue, to continue emitting and, and, and operating in California. So selling these pollution permits generates some proceeds then that the state needed to decide uh, what to make do of. And it uh, essentially pursued a two-tiered approach using a good chunk of the money for investments in clean energy and carbon reduction strategies that would help the state achieve AB 32's goals. But the other, the other chunk of the, the proceeds are going to be distributed to customers of electric utilities who are part of the program. And that is just getting underway this month as uh, customers for most of the state's large utilities will receive a credit on their electric bills that represents some of this proceeds from selling pollution permits um, to large emitters. And, um, you know, we think, we think this is, this is a, uh, potentially a, a, you know, a powerful moment, help spread awareness about the program, get customers engaged, and, and really you know, drive home the message that it's not an either-or proposition about moving off of carbon-based energy, transitioning towards cleaner sources of power, but not on the backs of consumers or households. This revenue is going right back uh, to those that are going to have to deal with uh, some of the impacts from climate change and making this transition. So uh, look for that uh, if you're a customer of uh, Southern California Edison or most any gas and electric company should be coming your way starting in April. Right. Well, um, for those of you who've just tuned in, this is Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming live all over on the web at KUCI.org. My guest today, this portion of the hour, is Alex Jackson. He's legal director of the Natural Resources Defense Council's California Climate Project. We're breaking down the... Cal- uh, the um, the AB 30, I'm sorry, um, ah, the <laughs> AB 32, 32, breaking that down, uh, first talking about the utilities uh, that are providing the energy. And there, I want to get into some of that and then we'll get into the rate, uh, the rate payer aspect. Now, all of course, the all utilities aren't created equally. I, I noticed that with Southern California Edison, uh, we're being rebated a little, or given a credit a slightly higher than our neighboring utility ratepayers are getting because we have, uh, from our utility, a larger carbon footprint. And that, I understand, that is tied up with we're, we're burning more coal, we're emitting more uh, coal, I'm sorry, carbon. And now that we're offline with 
the San Onofre plant. So um, that's there's a direct relationship from that decommissioning and the carbon footprint. So what uh, I, I don't know if your my my views have certainly changed as I've looked at the, how uh, you know the whole cost benefit analysis of the the um, the whole trade offs of nuclear power and the global climate change uh, dynamic. And so what what is um, NRDC's position with uh, considering the uh, nuclear power alternative? Well, I think certainly in, in California, the the loss and outage of the San Onofre nuclear plant, uh, you know, caught, caught, caught everyone by surprise. It was not planned for, and it was, you know, 22 megawatts of, of emissions-free power that the utilities are now going to need to fill. The, the good news in the short term is... Um, Public Utilities Commission recently decided that half of that, uh, you know, electricity load gap is going to be filled by clean energy and energy efficiency, uh, which was really a big step forward for you know ensuring we're not moving just to, to natural gas and, and more emission, more carbon intensive power to meet the needs of uh, of that new, of that plant. But I think overall. We are. I think our our goal is to really try to create policy environments that allow low carbon and carbon free resources to compete on an equal playing field, and and you know essentially let let the market determine where investments and resources should flourish. So the thing with nuclear is it's just it hasn't been cost competitive for for decades. There hasn't been a new nuclear plant built in a very long time, and in California we still have. Uh, a prohibition on building nuclear plants until the federal government designates a permanent waste disposal facility. So those are important issues we're going to need to address, but but certainly as we look at the challenges with addressing climate change and continuing to ramp down our emissions from the power sector, you know, all all clean energy resources are going to need to be in the mix. That's right. Well, and I I think there's going to be a cognitive shift cognitive leap about what those trade-offs are and how, I guess, to, to build up a, a different kind of a accountability and a trust relationship with managed, developing, des- designing, developing, engineering, and managing a nuclear power facility so that uh, we can uh, assume those benefits which are, which are needed. I mean, it's the, the whole, the, the, the climate dynamic, global climate dynamic just begs us to consider that. I'm, I've been persuaded by our Earth Sci- System Science people here at UCI. They keep coming back on the show, and I, I never thought I would reverse myself, but um, it's it's very, very compelling, the case that they make. So then we're talking then uh, to ratepayers. We're going to all be receiving this month, and it'll be, uh, again, we'll get a credit in November as well that will be a, a Anywhere from I don't know, it's the lowest is in the twenties or something. We'll get we'll get in Southern California, Edison uh, areas the uh, a forty dollar credit on our electric utility bill, which we can expend in any way. The idea is to it's twofold, is it not, uh, Alex? To raise awareness that that there is such initiative as the California Global Climbing Solutions Act, uh, raise awareness and then give consumers a chance to make adjustments? Because it's all about adjusting in, in, in this act. I, I think that's right, Claudia. It's it's really um, both a means of, of alerting, you know, customers about 
steps the state is taking to try to address, you know, our contribution to global warming uh, and our transition towards cleaner energy. But it's also about, you know, just just giving customers, um, you know, empowering customers to make them feel like they can be part of the solutions and and just giving us some choice about what they'd like to do with uh, with with you know their share of these proceeds. It's I think as as we've um, made the case, there's a real opportunity to save even more on your electric bill if part of the proceeds that you receive from the dividend are uh, invested in a low-cost energy efficiency option, you know, even swapping out one old uh, traditional incandescent bulb, which you know, uses the vast majority of its power for, for heat, and I think customers buy light bulbs for, for light, of course, for uh, a new LED bulb um, can save almost as much as, as the amount of your initial credit over the life of the bulb. So you can essentially almost double the value of your credit if just making a few upgrades to your to your to your lighting or there's other great options for you know advanced power strip to take a look at the you know vampire load as it's called for all the yeah. energy that's wasted for appliances that run 24/7. So we you know that that's one I think promising option for customers to take but really it's it's up to each individual household and and business how they'd like to use the credit. Um it's it simply represents that you know we have now put a cap on on the amount of pollution carbon pollution that can be emitted in California which you know frankly is is imposing costs and that's what the IPCC report continues to to make ever more clear, there's a real cost with with, with uh, emitting carbon, uh, and to to help you know mitigate the the cost of all of us transitioning towards lower uh, a lower carbon future. These proceeds are available, and and that's I think a, a good design tool. It's an important design, and we hope it's one that will catch on outside California. Well, it was raised at the California Public Utility Commission uh, media press event yesterday with the commissioner, uh, Mike Peavy, was asked about uh, how, how are people going to be on board with what that credit's all about, how to use it and what it's for, and how uh, whether there, there's a question of whether people are going to read that uh, little <laughs> flyer inside their bill. And uh, and so what we're all, all the media is responsible, ask a leader included, to, to help with this awareness so people know and where uh, if there's an additional way for folks to to gain uh, some more insight. It's, um, uh, frequently asked questions on the energyupgradeca.org website, and it's a it's a little bit of a boutique. You can see uh, energy saving devices. They're priced right in the range of the credit that you're getting on your bill. From I figured it was about eleven to forty dollars gets you any uh, one item, so maybe you can get a couple of items. So it uh, it does keep on giving there um so and 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 those those items are available at hardware stores there um are there um other i don't know that i mean there each of the utilities has their the places where people can pay their bills and all that are there other places that you um uh, mention direct people to getting those uh energy saving devices yeah i think increasingly they're they're widely available which is which is you know very encouraging but uh, major retailers from Lowe's, Best Buy, Home Depot, you name it, will carry uh, efficient lighting now, and they'll uh, reflect uh, rebates that the utilities provide to help encourage energy efficiency. As we know, it's much cheaper to say, help customers save money, uh, or excuse me, save energy than, than continuing to build more power plants. Exactly. Uh, so these these sorts of products are, um, yeah, really available wherever you would you would buy um 
you know, similar appliances. And, you know, there's also, you can help put a down payment on a comprehensive whole home audit if, if you know, that's, that's an option you prefer. So I think there are, there are a range of, of options available that are priced right in the, the realm of the credit. And, um, yeah, the Energy Upgrade California site, uh, I think, does a good job of, of laying out uh, a, good, a good range of them. I'll be sure on the podcast summary, energyupgradeca.org is where you can go to for those questions and share with your neighbors. I I made sure that our uh, local uh, housing authority here and the um, they're, they're managers of property and they are a disseminator through a very vigorous listserv. For those of you in the listserv that are listening, uh, get, we're going to do our local part to, to get this um, this whole uh program launched around here. And I, I, I guess, Alex, just to get a perspective, um, are there other states that are following along? I imagine there's some that are even, that have been working on this that have a, maybe a more um, manageable, more homogeneous demographic to make this pitch. Are you working with other states? I mean, NRDC has uh, offices all over the country, uh, all, I mean, regions all over the country. So um, are, are you seeing that the, this template's been picked up or we're picking it up from other states so we know California is not going it alone? Yeah, this, this is our top institutional priority, and you know we are fortunate to be active in several countries around the world and, and more and more just about every state. I think uh, in the near term, we're uh, excited about the possibility of the Pacific Coast Collaborative. This is an initiative that was announced last year by the governors of Oregon, Washington, and the premier of British Columbia, along with California. And those Pacific Coast states committed to working together on, on climate change solutions, including putting a price on carbon in every, every jurisdiction and uh, an integrated low-carbon fuel standard, which is an important part of the, of the puzzle. So we're, we're looking to those, those states in the near term as, as ready partners for California, um, but the other big opportunity and certainly the biggest step that the U.S. can take overall right now is to, is to put limits on the carbon emissions from power plants under the Clean Air Act. And this was really the centerpiece of the president's climate action right. plan unveiled last summer. Uh, we're expecting those rules to be coming in June, uh, and that will then quickly turn to the states who are responsible for coming up with the implementation plans. But uh, one way to we expect states may be able to comply with those Clean Air Act requirements is to um, adopt or, or join up with a similar approach that California has taken and that um, nine, currently sta- nine current states in the Northeast have, have been pursuing for many years under the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. Um, so that, that's really the, the most exciting and important opportunity, which really could get all 50 states engaged. But uh, here on the West Coast, um, Hopefully, look for some some real action on the Pacific Coast Climate uh, Action Plan coming soon. So it's a kind of reverse political engineering that state initiatives <laughs> are going to drive uh, global climate change uh, affecting policies, then uh, to eventually affect the uh, the national uh, legislative arena. It's not lost on us that it's going in that direction. That's right. I think uh, one of the main takeaways from uh, you know, the collective efforts from governments around the world to really try to move the ball forward on climate change has been a shift from the, the top-down model that was driven by the, the UN framework really to this, you know, bottoms-up approach where we see 
individual countries and even you know subnational jurisdictions like California that uh, are just seeing the evidence in front in front of them and have elected that they can't afford to wait any longer that we need to move forward and that in fact there's a host of other co-benefits associated with with taking actions to to move off of fossil fuels and and dirtier power and uh, those local benefits have have really come to bear since California's moved forward with AB32 and and that's the case where you know we're trying to make to other other jurisdictions that are still somewhat unfortunately sitting on the sidelines Right. I mean, it's been brought to our attention in various ways that it's it's become it is an orthodoxy, a sort a standard bearer of the GOP, uh, not to acknowledge the uh, effect the human factor in global climate change, or that global global climate change is actually occurring and with such intensity and ferocity. So, uh, I, I guess to pivot then uh, as we close here to for the listeners who want more information about what NRDC is up to uh, and and help uh, assist NRDC in making more inroads on the national legislative arena where is their best path to follow well uh, for, for more information I, I think our website is, is certainly the easiest portal it's just www.nrdc.org but uh, I, I think really what Collectively, uh, the biggest thing we should be focused on for those you know, that want to help uh, move the climate agenda forward is is the EPA's upcoming standards for putting limits on carbon emissions from power plants. And we're really going to need to keep EPA's feet to the fire to get those rules out on time and uh, get those rules to be strong and effective. Um, so I think through our website you can find portals to make your voice heard at the agency and then certainly when the rules come out, we're going to have to, um, you know, do our job to, to support the administration's ability to move forward with implementing those standards. So I guess to um, maybe to advocate that writing the, the memo to, the, to EPA, carbon copy your congr- national legislative um, representative so that um, they understand wh- where you're wanting EPA to go with this and there can be more... Uh, political capital finally summoned to uh, help make sure those rules are promulgated without more interferences and that kind of a thing. Well, I want to thank Alex Jackson, attorney at the National Resources Defense Council. Thank you for your time. It's really been good talking with you today. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Claudia. All the best. Keep up the good work for all of us. So uh, for the next uh, part of the show, we're going to be bringing on the crew uh, with uh, Masters of Fine Arts student direct Juan Rubio and crew members Elizabeth Erickson and Anna Savory, who will be presenting the Spatia Project this Friday night at UCI. Hey, everybody. Thank you for staying tuned. That was, as I said, Sonny, Ro- Sonny Rollins, his uh, global warming theme and it goes on and on and on it's a it's a spirited tune and i wanted to get started with the very spirited creative uh, remainder of our program welcome back to ask a leader where we have the opportunity to ask a fellow what it's like to be in two places at one time that is composer percussionist multimedia artist Juan David Rubio, I'm just going to call him Juan for short, who will be presenting Spatia this Friday in both Irvine and Bogota, Colombia. I'm not kidding, April Fool's Day. He, this is serious. This is where he comes from originally, where he did his undergraduate work. 
Directing this project will be the cap of Juan's many requirements toward earning his Master's of Fine Arts. Elizabeth Erickson, first-year student at the Integrated Composition, Improvisation, and Technology Center, and I am going to reduce that to an acronym shortly. Uh, she'll be in charge of the audio of the project, and, of course, she is not, no doubt... Uh, under uh, underwhelmed with what the the kinds of audio uh, managing I'm doing here, uh, composer and pianist, she received her undergraduate degree from the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, where she studied jazz and classical piano improvisation and composition. She co-founded and performed with Colorado Springs uh, in Colorado Springs uh, based electro acoustic quartet verse. It's not versa verse, and. Um, as well as many uh, jazz-oriented ensembles in the Pikes Peak region. Anna Savory, violinist in the project, is originally from Sydney, Australia, where she received degrees in classical and jazz studies. She will begin studies next fall at the same integrated uh, composition improvisation technology center. I see IT folks from now on, uh, so I don't get to be a tongue-tied host here. Uh, she and that's where her husband is already currently studying. But she's lucky that she was uh, brought in on this project as she's getting moved, uh, incorporating the program next fall. Well, I want to welcome Juan, Elizabeth, and Anna to Ask a Leader. Hello. 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 So they, they joined me, all of them, in Studio A. I'm so happy. Well, let's start uh, with Juan. Uh, a year in the making, the Spatia. Where, oh, where did you get this fantastic idea? You've done some pretty pretty cool things uh leading up to this i i liked your piece it's uh dope vince okay yeah <laughs> well uh i don't really know this is kind of a v evolution of work that i've been doing for a while i've been working a lot with experimental music and improvisation and i don't know this is kind of a v evolution of all of or different stuff that i've been working in like for several years and when I came here to UCI, I found like I started working a lot with technology, and so this is kind of the outcome of all that. Like a lot of stuff, like musically that I've been working on, combined with technology, and um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, I know at the School of the Arts, increasingly there's been a very uh, it's, it's this whole new groundbreaking of projection, multimedia, uh, programmable. Um, well, and music's been programmed for a lot uh, for a long time, but I mean, just having the laptop be right there with the, mm -hmm. the with the quartet right there on the tabletop. So it's uh, it's really. Uh, but th those were those are ambitious projects that faculty have taken on. But you're you're just saying, well, while I get my F MFA, I'm gonna let's see, it's gonna stretch it all the way to Bogota, back to Orange County. So that's hugely ambitious what you're doing. So. Um, let's, you've just returned Sunday from Bogota. Yeah, I did. So, um, let's, uh, that was your most recent and your, that was your last rehearsal in person. So the next time they see you, they're going to see you on a screen on Friday night. Yeah. They're not going to see me actually because I'm they not, never see you. I'm not going to be on the show. No. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, now, now that, see that part is for everybody to keep putting this, the, the conductor who's not conducting, he's already set it all up, uh, to a point. So, Tell us how you've been preparing and continue to collaborate with your with your crew in Bogota and Irvine. Well, I just took the, this as an opportunity to kind of keep keep some of my collaborations going in Bogota. I'm working with people I've been working there for years and incorporating new people as well. And I just find very interesting this telematic thing in in the sense that you can put like 
people together from different cultures and places and like collaborating life and I found that really fascinating and I think there's a lot of potential there okay well, we have crew members, as I said, here in there, and we're oh no, everybody's uh, no no nobody kicks back here. Everybody's got lots to tell us because I think our listeners are in for um, a little instruction about um, all the the parts here. Um, this hour and one quarter performance installation will follow a particular form. So, Juan. Tell us about that. Walk us through the cast of the performers. There's many on both uh, in both national settings, mm-hmm. uh, and their instruments and their roles. Okay, so we have three musicians, three musicians in here, and three musicians in Bogota. So in Bogota, we have guitar, um, double bass, and percussion. And in here, we have Anna playing violin. We have Richard playing flute. Richard Savory and we have Paul Sinclair playing clarinet and on top of that we have like people working on audio video and lighting in both sides okay that's the one side of it who wants which one of you wants to talk about now the interactive part the audience is also well I don't know what do you call not a performer maybe a collaborator so we have um, let's have the the crew on um, Lizzie was going to talk about that. She's the one who is going to be at the the moving all the buttons for the audio uh, on this end. But plus, there'll be one. Your counterpart will be doing this in Bogota. Yes. Okay. Um, the audience is invited to come, and I guess they'll be conducting. They would be conducting the musicians. Um, there's parts of the score that can change depending on how the lights are in the space. The lights are meaning yes. We pick up a light. Meaning that you have the audience is able to control the light using a fader. And so each musician has two lights that are being controlled by the audience of the other space. So the musicians... Like on a console. We have exactly. a console here to keep... I'm trying to keep everybody's voice levels level. Uh, but so an audience member can step up to a fader and mess around with that. And they could turn the light off or turn it on low or turn it on medium. And they're controlling the lights in the other space. So the audience in Irvine is going to be controlling the lights in Bogota. And the audience in Bogota will be controlling the lights in Irvine. So I know that because of uh, the predominant Anglo culture uh, around, I mean culture, I mean that in terms of sort of a behavioral effect, uh, I think there will be some kind of reserve. I think, that you're, I don't know, do you have any sort of uh, ringers? Maybe Juan's arranged for that to make sure people uh, step up and get those consoles uh, activated, those faders moving. How are you going to get that idea planted? Or are you going to say something and say, before you turn off your cell phones, I would like to lay out what we're going to do here today, what your role is? Well, what's going to happen is you're, you're, you're saying that there's some sections in the piece or in the installation. And actually, the first section, I'm going to be conducting the first, se- the first section myself. I'm going I'm to be... You will be there then. But I'm going to be here, but I'm not going to be like in the spot. I'm just going to be controlling the lighting system from both places ah. at the, through, my, through the computer. So in that way, I'm kind of inviting the people to come and do that afterwards. After your intro, and yeah. of course you'll close with your in- conduction too. There's no close, just like a continuum. Oh, so, no close. Oh, I don't know how we're no, going to know how to deal with that. So we're going to have, um, so we have like six faders that Lizzie was mentioning. And those faders are in some stands. It's like just a single fader, and there are six of them. 
and there are going to be a set of Christmas lights wrap around those those stands and when those Christmas lights turn on that's when the audience are invited to to participate okay okay so hopefully that will be clear enough all right for those of you who've just joined us my guests are student director Juan Rubio and crew members Elizabeth Erickson, Anna Savory, who'll be presenting the Spatia project this Friday night at UCI and simultaneously, this is so ambitious, in Bogota, Colombia. You're tuned to Ask a Leader on Radio KUCI uh, 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming live in concert halls all over the world on the web at KUCI.org. Well, the precise location is at UCI's Experimental Media Performance Lab, and that's the ground floor of the School of the Arts Contemporary Arts Center, the newest structure that was built in that uh, complex. And, of course, I, I couldn't help but I, uh, I like the time. The, the Latino uh, contingent, they're starting at 8.30, so it's like the dinner hour state starts later. They start at 8.30, and Irvine starts at 6.30. Yeah, it's because of the time difference. So I figured that's a huge accommodation. to. So again, I'm going to beat up on Anglo culture here. That, uh, the Anglo uh, culture, they can have their dinner at 6, and the Latino dinner starts at 10 p.m. <laughs> so <Okay. laughs> every, ev- everybody gets to keep that going. So, well, let's talk. We talked about the role. Now, so are, there aren't little bets being laid down about who's going to know uh, which, which city is going to activate and interact at what kind of a capacity um, between, are, are you laying bets on who's going to be the more dynamic of the interactions? There have been no bets so far, but the audience is invited to do so if they want. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, and uh, the capacity, um, I mean, the worst thing that can happen, there's a little bit of an overflow and people are, are he- I mean, because we'll be able to hear it. With the, can the doors swing open? We can hear it out in the, the lobby area of the building. Cool. Or we, we may not be able to activate the console, but we might be able to hear what's going on. We could. I think it will depend on how many people we have. I think we'd prefer to keep the doors closed so that there's no light bleed from the atrium. Oh, but That's right. But it's at, well, no, it's still daylight. So we're at 6.30, then, yeah, you have that complication. But if we have a lot of people show up, we might okay. do that to accommodate them. Right, right. Uh, improvisational uh, lighting, yeah. I guess, it goes with that. Well, um, uh, let's see here. As an audience, then, we're talking about that. Um, what do you want? I'm not sure. Uh, well, let each three of all three of you talk about this. Think about. Uh, uh, we'll start with Juan, though. What do you want the audience to gain from this experience, besides just being a little more sophisticated, a little more experienced and comfortable with contemporary composition and performance? <clears throat> well, um, <laughs> I actually I want it to be transformational to some degree, to feel to kind of get the audience involved to a degree that they kind of feel that they're being part of something, that they, they're a part of creating something across distance and across culture. And, yeah, that's kind of my one of my main goals in here. How about you, Anna? What's your goal? Come right up. Well, as a performer, I want the audiences to enjoy themselves. Um, I think... <laughs> I think um, there's always... Uh, some kind of distance between the audience and the performers, which is um, a good thing because there has to be some kind of mystery to keep it interesting. But I think um, because they can, like Juan said, participate in this particular uh, project, I think some of that mystery can be, uh, I don't know, they can get an insight into how a performer thinks and how 
a composer thinks, hopefully. So I, I think it'll be really interesting. Have you done anything like, not the two city part, but have you done in your own performance, art performance, anything that uh, helps bring something to this one? Well, I mean, I have worked with composers before that have done contemporary music and I've worked on graphic scores before, but I've never done anything quite, as you said, ambitious um, as this, you know, cross-country, cross-continent. Um, so this has been a really steep learning curve and working with Juan has been pretty cool. Um, he's very, um, you know, such a creative thinker and such an intelligent musician. So I've learned a lot from, from working with him and he gives really great instructions. And the musicians involved in this project are all really amazing and so is the crew. So, And while we're talking with Anna, how... Um how closely have you already been collaborating and will you collaborate with your counterpart in Bogota? It's getting better. The first rehearsal, I think, we spent... When was that rehearsal? Last Wednesday was our first rehearsal, yeah. Um, that was... We spent mostly on just technical things. We didn't get much playing done. Um, and then, like, I think now we've had two rehearsals so far that we've actually played the the piece through and... Every time it's getting better and better, and I think we're connecting as musicians, and it, it's a, it's really really fulfilling connecting with someone that you've, um, you know, someone overseas. It's just a really incredible experience. Yeah. Well, I'd like to ask that same string of questions of Lizzie about what you expect, um, what you want to, uh, your collaboration, what you want to see the audience get, get out of this, and uh, maybe uh, your pre your experience in. Uh, performance and composition. What, because uh, you you'll have a, an audio manager. You'll have a counterpart too. So all all of those things. Your counterpart, your audience interaction, your uh, previous experience that helps lead you into this kind of ambitious project. Well, as a performer, I love improvisation, and I've always been drawn to improvisation. And so, what I like about this project is that I, th I feel like oftentimes. Um, either non-musicians or musicians who don't improvise see improvisation or see that interpretation as very mysterious, like Anna said, and don't understand how an improviser improvises. And I think in this piece, it's laid out in a way where it is Juan's composition, and he did write all of the music, but the way it is interpreted is open to the performers, who are all very good improvisers. And so the audience being capable of interacting with that it gives them an in, kind of like Anna said, to to that process as a performer that lets them see how how a performer thinks and how an improviser might think and how Juan would think as the composer. So I think that's it's kind of almost the same as what Anna said. That's what I would like the audience to get out of the, the performance. And your collaboration with your counterpart in Bogota? Uh, my collaboration with my counterpart is making sure that we are connected and that we are hearing Bogota's audio signal and they are hearing ours. Um, so <sighs> our, my interaction so far uh, has been about two minutes on, <laughs> on Google Hangouts, <laughs> uh, just making sure we know how, how to connect with each other. Um, so far, all of my time connecting with Bogota was when Juan was there. So I did most of my working with him when he was there. So I haven't done too much interaction with my counterpart yet. 
And so, and this is your first year in the program. So this yes. uh, is this giving you uh, some ideas about what you need to do for your uh, MFA um, qualifying completing project? It is. I'm really glad to be a part of one of the second year thesis just to see. I don't know that I'll do a telematic concert, but um, but it's 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 good to be a part of something this ambitious and to see all of the work that goes into it and start thinking about my own thesis I see next year. I see a two sides of the Rockies performance. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, you could uh, t- twin twin peaks. Uh, so um, <laughs> and P E E K S because it's going to be screened. So and P- all right, <laughs> yeah. all right. We're uh, I, I I stray here from that. so for those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to Ask Lead on KUCI eighty eight point nine FM in Irvine, and my guests are Juan Rubio. Uh, Elizabeth Erickson and Anna Savory, who will be presenting the Spatia Project Friday night. That's April 4. And for those in the that aren't streaming this in Bogota right now, for those of you who are in the Orange County area, that you will uh, report directly before 6.30. You don't want anybody to be late. I mean, there's you. they've got to be there at 6.30. Right, Juan? That's how yes, it works? Yes, they should. Yeah, we're really on the clock because everything is programmed, like, on the clock. Latinos are on time, too. Well, I don't know. I am. <laughs> okay, so uh, no, no. I mean, just just say so. Um, that's so six thirty, and the the venue is UCI's very own experimental media performance lab at the ground floor. I repeat, of the School of the Arts Contemporary Arts Center, and it's free. Everybody, I, there's every incentive for being a part of this kind of a thing, and um. So I, we were talking a little bit in preparation. I think it was Anna and um or. Uh, Lizzie and I, that uh, I, I think there, there might be a, I mean, there might be a difference in this interactive possibility. I noticed from a little experience living six years in the Southeast, I, I think I was changed by this, the callback response you get from an African American congregation. It's changed me as an audience member uh, in all, all kinds of venues. Uh, so I'm, it'll be really interesting to see how much people summon up the kind of uh, interactive contribution to this because we're not we're not used to it yet and some people aren't even going to they're going to freeze a little bit when they're they're uh, adjusting to the the very contemporary aspects of this you know the the form is is totally foreign to about what 90% now the faculty are super hip to this they already mm-hmm. they already know about this cuz their their colleagues have been presenting this uh, Hussein Omumi has been doing this um projecting Daryl um, Daryl Taylor has been doing some projections with uh, collaboration. I'm not sure where his other um, co- uh, his collaborators have uh, been, what the venues were that they're coming from. So uh, it's it's going to be very interesting. I don't know if there's any other pitch anyone would like to make about um, who. Now, at this demographic, there's no one demographic, as Juan has been telling me. That uh, if this is suitable for everybody. Do you think maybe the younger they are, the more uh, uh, sort of uninhibited they're going to be, and sort of reach over and mess with those faders? I don't really know. I mean, this is kind of a every time I do this. I mean, I, I haven't done it like telematically, but I've been doing this kind of installation type things for a while, and it's always like a sociological experiment. So it's very, it's very interesting to see. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a microcosm, like a micro society going under. Uh, that's pretty interesting always to look at. So you'll have, a, it's, I don't know if it's a committee or one faculty member, they're going to be, they'll be there for sure. Yeah, they'll, they'll be They'll there. be watching and you'll be watching. So you, you, you'll want to know what's working. You're, I mean, you'll be critically evaluating what's happening and you'll have to, you will not be able to see the audience 
from every aspect that uh, your um, s- their crew in Bogota is going to have uh, to be privy of seeing e- what's going on. So, but you you're going to be very attentive to how this is all going to work for your uh, your next creations, I guess. Yeah, I mean, but th- there's a lot of trust going on here. Like my crew is like they're being pretty. I mean, this is like a cliche, but they've been pretty amazing, and I'm not worried about that. Like I just. I mean, I could step out of the thing completely because they have everything under control. I don't mean worry, but just sort of how you're going to uh, see what's how it's working and how it uh, informs other projects in the future. Definitely, that's and this is kind of yeah, it's, it's like a continuum, continuous learning experience. This kind of situations. Okay, well, mm-hmm. I am so pleased to have the whole crew from the Spatia. That would be uh, including music composer, director, and MFA candidate Juan David Rubio and his uh, crew members from the on the state side, uh, Elizabeth Erickson and Anna Savory. And uh, Anna's husband is, I noticed it from this, Richard Savory, he's in, he's in on the OC set uh, here. So um, again, I'm going to remind everybody, it's at, it's free, the Spatia Project at, uh, on Friday night here at UC Irvine School of the Arts. I'll post all of the details one more time on the podcast summary, so there's no missing how to get uh, get there. And seating is w- required. Time attendance six by before six thirty. The program starts at six thirty, and Bogota is counting on us starting, and we're start we're counting on them starting their time eight thirty. Definitely, yeah. So there's that bit of a, a protocol and responsibility. Otherwise, the responsibilities are for people to be attentive and open, I guess. So, yeah. well, thank you all of you for coming. I know you're breathless from trying to keep the the recording uh, and the rehearsal sessions going. So I, I, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I'll see you thank on you. Friday night. And listeners, I'll see you there, too. Take care. All righty. Well. Next week, I'm going to have on Daniel Pilchen and a few students from his Ethics of Food course that he just completed teaching last quarter here at UCI. Then our other guest will be Jill Mullen to talk about her brand new book, Drawing Autism, a marvel of a publication presenting the artistry and self-expression of individuals diagnosed with autism. Everybody, thank you for joining us today. 